When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, what a crazy, hectic week. We've got bowl game announcements. We have the conference championship games. We have a new offensive coordinator. We have the transfer portal opening. Has your head exploded yet? It's just, Jim, it's just too much. Uh, this is college football, I, I just, this is me talking to college football as, as an entity, as a thing. I'm going to anthropomorphize. You need to get your stuff together, and you need to check out your big brother, the NFL, because they do this perfectly. Uh, free agency is in March. Championship games are in January, and then in February. You have no overlap. Offensive coordinator changes, coaching things happen at the end of December. We don't do it all in four minutes, which is what this past, like, 48 hours has been. It's been... All of the stuff you just described, um, all coming at the same time, and it's just like you can't, you can't do this. You need if you want if you want to be you know a twenty four seven sport, which college football is, and there's always going to be news and bluewhiteillustrated.com. By the way, we do a great job of having a bunch of different people that have a bunch of different skill sets that can cover all of this stuff. But for somebody who is not one of the people that has all of those skill sets, it just makes my head spin. It's just too much. I'm doing offensive coordinator film study, and I have to stop that to do bowl game film study to do. You're recruiting film study, and it's just like, it's just just chill one thing at a time. But no, we'll do it all at once, and we'll do it with excellence and with style. Let me sum that up for college football. You need to get your act together for T-Frank, okay? You need to do better for T-Frank. And that should be priority one for you, college football, okay? Understand it? And by the way, I'm sure they are listening to our show and they are taking notes, T. Frank. <laughs> well, one of the big highlights of the week is Penn State headed to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl against Ole Miss. And if you want to travel down to Atlanta for the game, there's nothing like going to an away Penn State game, especially a bowl game. You need to contact our friends at Collegiate Athletic Travel. Unlike T. Frank, they've got their act together, folks. Yeah. <laughs> they make the trip fantastic. They help you along the way with everything. They have packages with the Weston Peachtree Plaza, the hotel. It's right in the middle of everything. It's less than a mile to the stadium, three blocks to the College Football Hall of Fame, just blocks away from the aquarium where there's the big fan night, and they have admission included in their packages. Go to athletictravel.com or call 814-238-4987 for all the details. And if you want to have a great trip, that's the way to do it. T. Frank, the trip to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl is for the game against Ole Miss. Let's start there. What do you think of the matchup, Penn State-Ole Miss? Yeah, so I think, you know, some of the, believe it or not, uh, every once in a while, I stumble across information, 
and uh and and I'm always super grateful when people uh throw me a you know a hotline tip here and there this is the matchup the peach bowl wanted they wanted to have um an sec team you know in the region that wasn't that wasn't just there in the conference championship game so they didn't want to have georgia or alabama because that fan base just traveled there and this is a consolation prize for those fans in their minds right there right so you didn't make the college football playoff now you're going to the peach bowl eh, but if you have an SEC team um, that is making a bowl game, New Year's Six Bowl, Ole Miss and Penn State, obviously Penn State travels very well. Atlanta is not too far for Penn State and for State College in the Northeast. It is a destination for the winter that you can go for a mini holiday. So this was a dream scenario for what, uh, for what the Peach Bowl specifically wanted. They wanted Penn State was one of their, uh, if not their top target, and then either uh, you know, Ole Miss or another team they may have thought of was uh, Missouri. So a good matchup on the field. And generally, Penn State, I, I think, has a positive New Year's Six Bowl reputation where a lot of team, a lot of the bowls, they want Penn State. So Penn State tends to get a prioritization in the selection process, which doesn't have as much to do with rank as you might think You know, in the final tallies. Well, that's one of, before we get into looking at Ole Miss as a team, that's one of the mysteries is how they make those decisions. It's fine. The Peach, uh, Peach Bowl people could want Penn State and mm -hmm. want a Southeast Conference team, but they don't control it. I imagine they have some influence, but they don't control it, do they? I mean, I'm I'm just dancing on the edge of this stuff, you know, so I, I can't give you concrete reporter answers. But yeah, everyone has their preferences. There's some politicking. There's some human interaction involved, which is always messy and complicated and not as simple as an algorithm. So there's a lot of things that go into play from viewership, et cetera. And uh, it is it is a um, <laughs> it is not a scientific thing. It is an art form, I think, more so the more I learn about it. It is, and the general consensus is you didn't want to end up playing Liberty, okay? That yeah. was what I get from most Penn State fans, and that's understandable. And if you're Oregon, you can't be happy with, with that setup. As yeah. a Penn State fan, I think you could be happy with this matchup. You get a Southeast Conference team. You get the team that's coached by Lane Kiffin, which automatically makes it a little more entertaining. But right. let's let's talk about the team itself. I think Lane Kiffin, I think of an offensive-minded uh, mm -hmm. uh, coach. Let's start with the quarterback, uh, Jackson Dart. Pretty good quarterback. Is this the best quarterback Penn State's faced all year? Pretty close. And by the way, Jackson spelled with an X-S. So, you know, he's a special person because he's got a Jackson with an XS. Uh, <laughs> um, he's, he's pretty close to one of the J.J. McCarthy is an excellent quarterback in the game against Penn State. He did nothing because they decided they weren't going to throw the football. The right tackle, Carson Barnhart, couldn't block any of Penn State's defensive ends. So they decided they weren't going to throw the football. So Penn State, I don't think got the full force of Roman Wilson in that passing game and what they could have done which I thought was a fascinating matchup. And I'm, I'm a little, you know, that's kind of my analysis coming out of the season as I'm a little upset. We didn't get to see any of that. Like we just, we were denied that because of the, the scheme and the situation and Penn State's offense, not being able to, I digress. It's a, too much of a, too much of a uh, tangent there. So 
yes is the answer. He's one of the best, one of the two best quarterbacks that Penn State has seen this year, both by production, I think, and by talent. Uh, so the, it's been a almost three almost three thousand yards the last two years, and that's pretty impressive in the SEC. The, they're not as pass heavy as you might think. They have a little bit better balance on offense. So this is going to be, a, I think, a really good test overall for whomever plays for Penn State on the defensive side. They've been excellent. And this is a team that has um, some players that can challenge them in ways that we didn't see from the non-top two Big Ten teams, right? Um, some moments here and there from Maryland, but really that that was not something that Penn State even allowed schematically because that was such an unbalanced team from a run perspective. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Jackson Dart. How much of a dual threat is he? Can he run the ball also? Yeah, so he... The the interesting thing I mentioned this is not um, this is not a super pass heavy team. This is a team that does a little bit of both, and because he's a, a part of the the quarterback run game, he ran for I think 330 yards this year. Um, so he they're a true spread system. They use read option. He's asked to run the ball and make some critical runs. He's a scrambler to extend the play more so than he is a scrambler to run. Um, and I think that that combination makes him very dangerous. He's he's a well-balanced threat in the backfield who can pass and can run, um, and they'll ask him to do that. McCarthy, his legs were a problem for Penn State uh, all the way back to Garrett Green in week one. Penn State's aggressiveness sometimes in their contain in the pocket, um, it doesn't always bode well for them against a running quarterback. Now, when it's designed runs, I think they did a great job of corralling guys at the end of the season with scrambles, but the design runs were still an issue here and there for Penn State down the stretch. And I I asked this because I have no idea on this. What kind of draft pick would Jackson Dart be? And the reason why I asked that question is, is there any chance that he would sit out this bowl game? So I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know in particular for Dart. I haven't done enough film study on him to know what his arm is, you know, that kind of like what is his upper level of talent? Because just looking at him, he he's probably big enough to be a, a draftable quarterback in terms of size and frame and strength. He's not he's not tiny with a small arm, but is he has he performed at a level that you would want out of a out of a uh, NFL quarterback? And I don't know that um, if the system is one of those things that hampers his draft profile, you know, because it's a, it's a true spread system, three receivers all the time. They do some motion. They do some nice things. They, they're not so static and, and so rigid, but at the same time, it's not a system that has, um, at least from my initial uh, overview, complex passing patterns, et cetera. I have to delve into that to understand that a little bit more. Um, yeah, somewhere in the range of maybe a draftable quarterback, but I haven't heard his name a whole lot so far. I had I did a quick look up. One person projected him as a third round pick, but I think also part of that is you look around. There are a lot of other quarterbacks coming out this year, and like yeah. I said, I was asking it in the context of with quarterbacks. You just never know if they say, "Hey, I'm going to go get ready for the NFL draft." Um, I've heard nothing about that from this quarterback, so I'm I'm assuming he's going to be there. They aren't, as you pointed out, they're pretty well balanced uh, run and throw. They have a pretty good running back in Quinshawn Junkins. And tell us about him. What kind of style runner is he? 
So for the most part, they, they don't have um, an overly explosive element in this offense on the ground. I think Dart might be that for them. But Judkins is a guy that is uh, provides, you know, staples this this offense to the ground so that the, the passing game can float, if that makes sense. He's he's physical. He broke 69 tackles last year. A guy who runs through contact. You, you look at him and he's exactly the build and the physique you're looking for from an NFL running back or from a running back. Um, explosive, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say is, is the way he runs, but he is good enough that if you give him a seam, he'll take every yard that's available. So they, they can run the ball. Um, they can throw the ball. They can throw the ball short. They can throw the ball deep. This is a balanced team that can attack you and can take advantage of uh, schematic weaknesses. If you give them to them, um, in either situation. So I think a really good test at the end of the season for Penn state, if you beat this team, this team is on the level of I'm not saying Ohio State, Michigan, but you would put them in the tier with Penn State. So you can't say at the end of the year that Penn State's best win is Iowa, and then they played a bunch of garbage. Like this is a team that you should um, respect, and they have the offensive and defensive capabilities. Play a good balanced team, a good balanced game. And I kind of look at this the way I looked at the Rose Bowl last year. Their opponent, Utah, they're a mm-hmm. team that you have to respect. That's, if not top 10, on the cusp of top 10. So if Penn mm-hmm. State could win this game, it, it, it would be a feather in their cap. All right, we're not done looking at Ole Miss. We will pick this conversation up when we begin quarter number two. Hey, it's T. Frank. It's the holiday season. It's time for reflection, appreciation, and deals. Everyone loves a good deal during the holiday season. And RogueShop.com, they've got a deal for you. Now, it comes with a little, just a little bit of work on your part, and then you get an awesome reward at the end. So, RogueShop.com has been supporting this channel for a long time. So, if, if you support us, here's a great way to give back to the sponsors that make it so we can do this. RogueShop.com is in the competition for best CBD retailer on the internet. So, go to this link, and don't worry. I'll put the link in the description of the video. Put all this information in there. Uh, All you have to do is click on that link, vote, and then take a screenshot of your vote. Send it to Rogue Shop, um, sales at rogueshop.com, and get 20% off everything at the site. So if you're listening on the podcast, do go to the YouTube channel, do check out the video so you can get the link. 20% off at everything at rogueshop.com once you've given them proof that you have voted for them. Also for the holiday season, if you're interested in something like this, an edible advent calendar, which is super cool and fun. Um, Like I said, they've supported this channel for for a long time. They've been one of our most consistent supporters. So give them some support back because they're giving you something for doing it. Once again, I'm going to put all this up here on the screen so you can see it. But really, it just goes to go to the link, vote for Rogue Shop, take a screenshot, send it to them. You can go to the message board if you're a member and you can sign up there. Uh, or you can you can uh, sign in there and check out the information. There's a couple of different ways, but this is the most efficient way for me to tell you right now. Sales at RogueShop.com. Send your screenshot there and you'll get a discount code once you prove that you have voted for them. Okay, holiday season. Everyone loves a good competition, but more, most importantly, everyone loves stress-free environments. And sometimes you can't get stress-free environments, so RogueShop.com, they're there to help. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. We are talking Penn State football and their trip to the Peach Bowl December 30th at noon to play Ole Miss. I think we both agree a pretty good matchup. And if you have an interest in going to that game, 
and who wouldn't if you're a Penn State fan. I urge you to check out our friends at Collegiate Athletic Travel. You could either go to athletictravel.com or better yet, give them a call at 814-238-4987. They have some great packages for the trip. They have uh, staying at the hotel, the Weston Peachtree Plaza, which is in the middle of everything. It's less than a mile to the stadium. It's just a couple blocks to the College Football Hall of Fame. And also included in your package, admission to fan night at the aquarium, which is just blocks away from the hotel also. That number is 814-238-4987. I've traveled with them. It's a great time. Trust me on that. All right, T. Frank, when we wrapped up quarter number one, we were talking about this Ole Miss team. We were looking at their offense. We looked at the quarterback, Jackson Dart, as you pointed out. J-A-X-S-O-N. Got to be special if you spell it that way. They also have a pretty good running back, Junkins, 5'11", 210. Mm -hmm. Very much a power runner. Let's talk about the rest of that offense. Uh, You know, Dart has to throw to somebody. And as you said, they typically line up with three wide receivers, correct? Yeah, uh, but before we get to that, Jim, I mean, you have just blown right by one of the most important things, and that's the Atlanta Aquarium. I haven't done many things in my life. Uh, One of the few things I have done is I took a trip to Atlanta one time, and we went to the aquarium. I loved it. Uh, I like like nature. I like those things. Um, So super cool. If you do go to the bowl game, check out the aquarium. Um, unless you don't like fish and then don't go to the aquarium. Like, don't take my, don't just take my word for it. And well, T Frank said, like, yeah, if you like that stuff, the, the, it is one of the best aquariums in America. So you should check it out. Well, they also random endorsement uh, for the Atlanta aquarium. <laughs> check T Frank says weird things. <laughs> Bingo. They actually though, T Frank, they do a fan fest thing at the aquarium. I think it's one of those cool. with the cheerleaders from both teams, that kind of thing. So it's kind of like double dipping there. You don't just get the aquarium. You get the fan thing. And like I said, with this package, with that collegiate athletic travel, the admission to that fan fest is included with it. So that's pretty cool. Sounds like there's – I've never been to Atlanta, but except flying through the airport. But it sounds like there's a lot of things like in that one area. When you were there, did you see the College Football Hall of Fame? No, so just it's a very long story. I only had a couple of hours. I was there for a thing, not necessarily just going for pleasure. So it was like we didn't have like a lot of leisure time. So I had very specific things. And so I went to the aquarium. That was the thing I did. Well, I would think the College Football Hall of Fame would be pretty cool also. All right, let's get back. Trey to Harris. Let's talk about Trey Harris. Yeah. So um, he might be, we're talking about Jackson Dart. He might be the second best receiver Penn State has seen this year in terms of production and the ability to do things that could, you know, open up big plays against the Nittany Lions secondary. Um, still doing some digging on that, like in terms of how good is he? Is he better than what Penn State has, the matchups and all those things? Uh, mostly what I did, just to preface this, is we're talking about some articles I wrote over, over at bluewhiteillustrated.com going through the data of what does that say, what is the production metrics of uh, inform about, about the offense. And this is where it really has to be, because I have seen a little bit of Ole Miss, but this is where I haven't really done the digging of film study. So don't take this as T. Frank's film room stamp of approval. Trey Harris is, is a productive player, though, based on this. Um, Jordan Watkins, I believe, is the other receiver. 
Uh, Dayton Wade may have just declared for the draft, actually. So he might not be there. I need to double check that. I apologize. Um, I'll make sure we clean that up by the end of the show. Uh, but these th- they, they run a three receiver set. So they do a lot of um, spread stuff. They do some tempo things um, and, and they can spread you out and throw down the field. I think the one thing that stands out to me is Harris versus single coverage this year has been dangerous. Um, almost 20 yards per reception in single coverage. A lot of times people have the wrong estimation of what the SEC is. So let me let me lay this out from what I've seen. It is not 1994 Alabama rolling tide running offenses. These offenses in the SEC have embraced modern football more than the Big Ten. They throw the ball a lot. And so to that end, there are more multiple coverages more zone coverages, more things trying to prevent explosive plays. So they don't, it's not as much stuff the box and throw into man coverage. They, they, there's a little bit of an, uh, a big 12 vibe at times watching some of these uh, SEC teams. Now, are there some massive defensive linemen that change the game and five-star? Yes, absolutely. Um, but it is not this, it is not this monolithic, uh, everything you compare Penn State to, because this is the conversation, Jim, I'm going on a tangent here. Whenever you see somebody complaining about Penn State, it's like, well, why isn't that? Why don't they run the ball like Alabama? It's like, have you watched Alabama? Have you watched this team, uh, Ole Miss, and how they operate? So there's there's a lot more diversity in the SEC. There's a lot, I think, a lot more passing in the SEC. Um, and this is where, when you have these select things, getting all the way back to my original point, Trey Harris is not seeing a ton of man coverage because of the way they run their offense. But when he does, he's very dangerous against it. And he's going to see a lot of that against Penn State. So that's a That's a matchup I'm interested to see. I think this is one of those turning points in the game where Penn State might be threatened if they don't have their full complement of uh, corners that they've had all year. Well, also, if you've been paying attention to Alabama, this is a team that's had some really good wide receivers. And at one point on the roster, they had three NFL starting quarterbacks, okay? So out using Alabama anymore as the example of the power, the three yards and the cloud of dust isn't right. And I think, at least when I think of Elaine Kiffin, the coach, I'm thinking more the modern-day offense. And in fact, I'm probably more surprised that he runs the ball as much as he does because of that impression that you have of Lane Kiffin. So they have the, the typical three wide receiver set. Yep. Tell me though about their offensive line. What is that a strength? Is that a weakness? Especially it's going to go up against a pretty good defensive front with Penn State. Yeah, and that's kind of where things I don't want to say fall apart because Jackson Dart does a good job of making up for some deficiencies and Quinchon Judkins breaks tackles and they have again when you go talking about complementary pieces, they have things that can overcome the offensive line and their lack of standout players. I think a good offensive line in what I mean of average across the board. There's a couple of players in a couple of situations when you put them in obvious passing situations. They're not very good. And then the overall metrics for this offensive line are not very good. For example, to put this into context, um, PFF does uh, a metric called pass blocking efficiency, which is basically it it doesn't rely on volume. So the number of sacks versus the, the passing plays that you ran. So if you're a Minnesota, for example, and you run the ball all the time, 
you're going to have very few sacks. You're going to have very few pressures, but what's it per capita, right? So per drop, drop back. And um, Ole Miss ranks with Michigan State 51st, I believe, in the country. So Penn State completely shut down Michigan State because their offensive line was so overmatched. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to make a one-to-one comparison, but we're in that ballpark. If Penn State can shut down the run and and can control Quinshawn Judkins, I think they can put they can put this team in a in a real problem situation because they have the best pass rush in America or one of the top three. You know, with with the depth they have, even if guys don't play because of the NFL and opting out, I think they still have the talent to get home. Will it be as overwhelming and complete? Maybe not, but they will still have an advantage. Um, in the trenches in this game. And I think that that's something that is a major factor when Manny Diaz's defense has an advantage in the run game specifically. And I think that they will from a defensive line perspective. And I just remember SEC team, Penn State's got the better D line. Let's break down some of our stereotypes and mythology and talk about real facts here. Penn State should have the advantage in the trenches. And that will set up everything else for this team. It'll have to be another quick passing, maybe not as many explosive plays. This is the area where that's going to be decided. And that's another area I'm interested to dig into to see how good is that offensive line and how does it, how do the strengths and weaknesses apply to what Penn State does from a scheme and talent standpoint. And of course, for Penn State, as you alluded to, you have to wonder about Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac. Will they be playing in this game? Big difference there. Okay, we've got a couple minutes left in this segment. How about a quick overview on the Ole Miss defense, T. Frank? Multiple is the way I would describe them. Um, so they technically, based on their depth chart, have a three-down front. So, you know, what you would imagine is your typical 3-4 defense. But that's not really the case. So they run a lot of base defense out of that particular set. But the overwhelming majority Otherwise, they have two defensive tackles and two defensive ends, two edge rushers. So they're basically a four down front, but they can technically, based on the way they align sometimes, give you that odd front look. So the real thing you got to know is Penn State's offensive line has to be prepared for just about anything because they will run just about anything. And they got some versatile defensive linemen. They're not as deep as Penn State. Their starters are good. Their backups, I don't think, are as good based on what I've seen from uh, some of the information I, I looked up. And defense is a little harder. You do have to go into the film study and say, okay, how are they producing all of this, all of these numbers? And and that's where, you know, you got I have seen a little more of the defense in the film study. So from that perspective, the D-line, the front seven, they're good. I, I think they're more uh, some of their parts than any individuals. Linebackers aren't as good. And then the secondary is another true three safety system where they run three safeties. They've got a Sam linebacker that's a safety who also plays deep. So he truly is a safety out there. And then, you know, two other standard safeties playing um, and rotating throughout the coverage umbrella, providing different challenging looks for the offense that are harder to predict run pass of what you should do against that particular coverage cloud. Uh, but Penn State and their size and their 12 personnel, this is another situation where they have to be better run blockers than uh, Ole Miss is rallying and tackling the football. Because that's the whole thing. If you have uh, three safeties on the field and you have two tight ends on the field, the tight ends have to be better blockers. So that's going to be another area of matchup. And then whatever Penn State wants to do with their three receiver, their 11 personnel package against those things, the matchups are going to matter, but it's also the coverage schemes. What, what, 
Ole Miss does on defense is the same stuff that has troubled Penn State all year. They're able to keep uh, a safety near the box for the run game, flood areas with numbers, and sting the run the running backs with an extra defender who, if you make that guy miss, it's a big play, but Penn State has struggled to make those guys miss routinely. So we'll see what the new offensive coaching staff and the coordinating staff, they had a very positive end to the season. We'll see if they can follow that up with an even more impressive bowl appearance. Exactly. I think Penn State fans got excited with that performance against Michigan State. Let's see how they do in this bowl game. All right, that is it for quarter number two, T. Frank. Stick around, Q3. We've got your questions. We're going to ask T. Frank. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. T. Frank gives us a spectacular answer. And at the end of the segment, T. Frank will pick out the best question. Whoever sent that to us will win the prize pack from our friends at 409tailgateclub.com. And if you want to send a question to T. Frank, real easy. All you got to do is download our app, search on Keystone Sports, download the app. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button, and away you go. All right, T. Frank, you ready for your questions? Yes, I believe so. Uh, all right, let's start with Brad in Percasy, who says, what's a play you hate being called on offense or defense and why? For me, <laughs> it's the prevent defense with only uh -huh. rushing three guys. Of course, here's the example he gives. The quarterback always has way too much time. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, Auburn doing this allowed Alabama to win and get into the playoffs over Florida State. I had a feeling that's where he was headed with it. All right, so what's yeah. the play you don't like, T. Frank? So if you've ever watched T. Frank's film room at bluewhiteillustrated.com, there's a, there's a list of plays that I find <laughs> annoying, uh, mostly on the offensive side. I've come around to zone drops where I was not a fan of dropping denied Dennis Sutton into coverage, but uh, you know, Manny Diaz has done it. And uh, you know, at this point, I, a bit beyond reproach, a couple of things that I don't like on the offense um, play action. When you're pulling a guard to block the edge play action power is what it's called because you're faking the power concept. Now you can also fake it. It kind of looks like counter. It looks like a couple of different things, but functionally what it is is you're taking one of your less athletic offensive linemen, and you're asking him to block usually a speed rusher coming off the edge in that situation. You're sliding the offensive line one way to look like it's a, it's a run play. And you're asking that guy to then race across the pocket and block an edge rusher. There's a reason he's a guard. There's a reason he's not playing on the edge because he's not as athletic as, uh, as, you, as you want. It's funny. I watched this in a... Um, I think it was Cam Robinson from Auburn. He was like a top four pick in the NFL draft at one year. And I was watching his film and I'm like, he never is the edge protector. He's going to go as a top five pick. And he's never the edge protector because they would always use this to protect, you know, they would. So this is kind of the seeds of where it started of like, this is covering up for something. But really the, 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 the way it works is it, I just don't, I don't like the gamble you're making there. Now it does work and there's a reason to do it. I'm not right to say like, you should abolish this. But it's just not my favorite. And then the other thing is I'm generally against most screens. I don't find most screens work as effectively as you want them to, especially when you're throwing to a tight end over the middle. Pensy did not have a lot of luck this year with tight end screens um, because that athlete is not 
He's not a receiver or a running back. He's not elusive as much as, as some of those other guys. So that's just a short list of a long list of things. I'm not necessarily a fan of. Um, so Brad, uh, good job touching a nerve early. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go with the typical Penn state fan response. How about that fade pass to the five foot nine inch wide receiver in the corner of the end zone? I'm, I'm not a big fan of that one, T. Frank. <laughs> 2019 <laughs> still stings, huh? 2019 Minnesota still a problem. Oh, yes, I, I, yes, I still get that little bit of a shiver uh, just thinking about it. All right, let's go to uh, Fran in York, who says, uh, T. Frank, I'm curious about Juwan Sider and his future. He's talked about becoming a head coach. Not getting the offensive coordinator job here with Coach James Franklin, do you think he needs to move on to expand his resume? It appears upward mobility at Penn State is blocked. Um, no. No, I don't think he needs to because he's been other places and been successful as a position coach. Um... I think he's a guy who could skip that step. He's already been interviewed for head coaching jobs, I believe, in the last couple of years. Um, part of this is, as James Franklin has talked about his loyalty to Penn State, when he's talked about Ty Howell and Jaywan Sider. Jaywan Sider has no prior connections to Penn State like Ty Howell, who played here, but has been very loyal to the Nittany Lions and to James Franklin. So I think that head coaching opportunity Usually it goes in that order of right position coach for a bunch of different positions. Then you're the offense coordinator. Then you are considered a head coach. Jaywan Sider is, um, I think, a dynamic enough leader. I think he's probably seen institutionally how to do it from James Franklin. So if you wanted a guy who could skip a step, it might be Jaywan. Um, and then uh, just to fold in Antti Kotelnicki, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, he's been with Lance Leipold for, I think, 11 years, dating back to the time in Buffalo. So it, there might be a bit of an Andy Reid situation where he's got to go out and prove that he is not a product of the head coach in order to get a head coaching job himself, if that's what he's interested in doing. Um, so I don't I think that they're two different things. I think they're kind of two different paths and two different people. But it's a good question about Jay Wan Sider, who is an unbelievably good coach. And there's a reason that he's talked about being a head coach. There's a reason that he's uh, somebody that people mention because he he's legitimately got the abilities to do it. It's interesting. I thought of uh, Kotal Nicky myself and it, I read somewhere in him making the lateral move, if you will, offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. It was kind of the same thing. He had been loyal to the same coach for mm -hmm. many years. And the discussion point was him going to Penn State may have been adding to his resume and doing it without, you know, uh, Lance Leopold. So we'll talk about that more in, in quarter number four. Let's get to our next question. And it's uh, Randy and Manny Young, who says, another year of scouting the portal for wide receivers. My question to you is, what has been the issue? They've recruited plenty of receivers. Uh, they've brought receivers in from the portal. They've gone through multiple position coaches, multiple offensive coordinators. What is the issue? Is it lack of talent? <laughs> is it poor development? Is it uh, bad play design? Is it bad scouting of receivers? T. Frank, help me out. Um, it starts with talent acquisition. 
It starts with their inability to, in recruiting, get the guys that they really want. The guys that they really want, the guys that they target, the guys that we talk about on the on the recruiting show here on the YouTube channel on uh, Thursdays, you know, we, we talk about those guys and who they're really after, how the board shakes out. Ohio State gets those guys. Uh, other schools get those guys. Notre Dame has gotten a couple of those players. So they've missed on those top prospects. And then from a development standpoint, yeah, they haven't gotten development. That's why their old wide receiver coach is their old wide receiver coach. They did not develop the players they brought in. Um, and then, you know, you look at, let's just talk about the class of 2022. They brought in, I think, five wide receivers. Christian Driver hit the transfer portal on Monday, if we count him within that group, because he moved after his freshman season. There were a lot of, hey, this guy is talented, but, like Tyler Johnson, this guy is talented, but, and there's like a long list, I can tell you, of watching his film of things he needed to get better at before he was remotely able to step on the field at Penn State. We've talked about specifically Caden Saunders, and I think that's really well documented as a high-level prospect of somebody who came in and his issues. So we'll just recap them quickly. He came in, knew he was undersized, and tried to get big before he got to Penn State so he could play early. Put on bad weight instead of good weight. Had to take all, a year to take all that weight off. You know, then the the struggles of being a guy who plays and being a playmaker and then not being a guy that's a part of the conversation. So his first year was kind of a wash in terms of development, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And then he stuck behind two receivers in the slot. So, you know, there's just some progress at the position where there's bottlenecks of, in my opinion, too many same and same, too many guys that have the same skills that aren't going to produce for you at multiple positions out in, in the receiver group because we can't lump all receivers together. The receiver position is one of the most diverse because you can have a 5'9 guy that plays in the slot. You can have a 6'4 guy that plays out wide. They have vastly different skills, but they play the same position. Um, and then let's go to the portal, and they have the same exact problem. They're not getting the guys they want. Uh, Dante Thornton, Caden Prather, Jimmy Horn, Dorian Singer. There, were a, there was a number of really good receivers last year in the portal that went to other places. NIL, relationships, all those things play a factor. So they made a switch to a new receiver coach. He has not had enough time to really make an impact. We will see if he can make an impact on portal recruiting this year round. Are there good enough receivers to change the, uh, the map of the receiver room? And then it comes down to the positions you're putting them in to succeed. Are you scheming to the talents of the team or are you scheming to your scheme? That's another thing talking about the offensive coordinator, why he's gone and there's a new one. So there, it is a multi-layered problem. And it is a thing that the, there's no one answer. I can't sit here and say they don't have X. The, the easiest answer I can give you is they haven't had the talent to make a lot of these issues uh, irrelevant. So every single issue becomes a bigger issue when you miss on players. Um, when you bring in players and those players don't develop at the, the rate you need. And then the guys that you do have in the room don't step up to become that guy when it's time for them to become that guy. So they need a, they need a hard reset with, uh, with uh, Marcus Higgins. And we'll see, I think, in this next go-around if they have that. So, Randy, the answer is not A, B, or C. It's D, all of the above. Let's go to Kurt in Orfield, who says, I just noticed how people who have seen or played in our new OC system are lauding how it causes confusion because of its creativity. Is it too complex for our guys who were pleased that the <laughs> offense in the last two games was simplified. 
Oh, this is a great question. So I actually did some uh, digging. Uh, the Blue White Illustrated message board is awesome for people who find stuff. And then, you know, I don't have to search the Internet for these things. Um, listening to him talk about offense. And, and he did a coach's clinic. It's on YouTube. You can go check it out. I wrote about it at the website um, in kind of a breakdown of what he does. The offense is complex for the defense, but he does everything he can to simplify things for the offense. So uh, motion, options, RPO, they're all a part of this. But it's all about making it understandable for the players and coaching from the top down and from the bottom up. So the the goal from the top down is our players have to understand what they're doing and we have to teach them exactly what's going on. And then the coaching staff as a whole from the bottom up uh, teaches these things so that they are crystal clear for the offense. Because, yeah, you don't see a lot of mistakes. I haven't seen a ton of like mental busts from the offense uh, when I've watched him on film. But what they do from a motion perspective and from all of these different things they do in the offense, it does create confusion and frustration for the for the defense so presenting a complex picture simply for the offense i think is, is threading the needle it's the art and the science of being an offense coordinator and that's what you're hearing from those people so i would i would uh say that you it always depends on the players involved right so the players involved at penn state they might not be able to get it but eventually they should be able to because most of them that have been under cold Nick, nicky have all right t frank that is it for quarter number three, stick around. Quarter four, T. Frank will name our winner. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking Penn State football. We just wrapped up quarter number three, which was Ask T. Frank. T. Frank, you got to name a winner. Who's it going to be? I don't know if it's that I'm sleeping more now that it's... Uh not in season mode but uh, the questions this week were excellent there are four great questions that we that we had uh i'm gonna go with oh this is tough um randy and manny young as much as fran and york's question i thought was good in terms of understanding the difference between jay one cider and the new offense coordinator the number one thing for penn state football this offseason is a receiver position and getting that fixed and finding guys and i think it was a good time to overview what has happened and the problems that have cropped up because of it. Um, it is too simple to say talent acquisition, but that's where it starts. And I think that, that you can't get too complex and you can't get too in the weeds. Um, every once in a while, the, 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 the players need to help you out by just being good. And Penn State hasn't had too many guys that can just fix the situation by being really good. Um, I was watching some old Penn State highlights because Buffalo pay, played Penn State in the past. And guys like Chris Godwin, the, maybe the ball wasn't great. The concept wasn't revolutionary, but he just caught the football. Contested situation, he caught the football for a first down. So, uh, you know, things like that. You know, the ability to uh, elevate the scheme and doesn't always come from the offensive coordinator. So, you know, simple, complex, it's all rolled up in the receiver position. Oh, my world for a Chris Godwin to show up at, on campus. <laughs> A very good NFL quarterback. All right. Before we get started on talking about the new offensive coordinator, just a reminder, if you're interested in going to the Peach Bowl, Penn State, Ole Miss, check in with our friends at Collegiate Athletic Travel. You could find them on the web at athletictravel.com or call them at 814-238. 
1-800-242-4987. They have great packages, including the hotel, the Western Peachtree Plaza, which is right in the middle of everything, less than a mile from the stadium. It's also near the aquarium, T. Frank. <laughs> T. Yeah, Frank gave us the scouting report earlier today on the aquarium. And there's a fan night at the aquarium, which is fantastic. It combines fish and fan stuff, T. Frank. And with the collegiate athletic travel, it includes admission to the aquarium for that fan night. Again, call 814-238-4987 to get all the information. All right, T. Frank, we did a lot of talk earlier today about the uh, Ole Miss team scouting them. But the other big news for Penn State is the new offensive coordinator came in from Kansas, Andy Kotelnicki. T. Frank, what do you know about Andy? <laughs> um, uh, he's, he's hashtag good at his job, I guess, based <laughs> on everything that I've seen from uh, just general sentiment has been glowing about Andy Kotelnicki and his ability to craft offense. Um, from an X's and O's perspective, it's funny because coming from the Big Twelve, this is this is cut. This will be a bit of a tangent, but when you play certain teams, you watch how other teams beat that that particular scheme, player, coverage, or team. So you borrow concepts to do the same thing. And in a lot of ways, that's how you get kind of homogenized conference play. So coming from the Big 12, he kind of looks like Mike Yersich. You know, like just stylistically, some of the stuff from the downfield passing a game. And this is this is the, the, the thing I want to clarify. I don't mean Mike Yersich from 2023. I'm talking about Mike Yersich from even 21 at Penn State when he first got here and tried to implement his offense and what we scouted of him at his other stops. Vertical passing game, attacking downfield, trying to separate the coverage players into one-on-ones and then destroy. Uh, Andy Kotelnicki is better at this, and he's done it at not just Kansas, but also at Buffalo, creating explosive passing games downfield. So some of the concepts and some of the plays look similar. How he does it and the reasons for doing it are vastly different. So there, there's got to be kind of a, uh, a give and take. As James Franklin says, we're all basically running the same plays. Everybody in college football is running relatively the same plays. It's about how you do it and, and what, um, you know, the process behind the production. And to that point, he has been very productive as an offense coordinator, generating explosive plays in the run game and the pass game. So um, there's a lot of things. Penn State fans, if you're, if you're not a fan of the read option, I'm sorry. It's going to be here and probably more than it was the last couple of years. That is something where Kononiki has done that, uh, even going back to Buffalo. A couple of interesting things we'll get into in terms of offensive line. What does his run game look like when he has talent? I don't think we know that just yet. Um, but generally, a guy that uses all of the creative tools to create space in the defense and set up his best players to attack the weaknesses he's creating with motion specifically, shifts, RPOs, and read option on top of a downfield passing attack. So I guess that is kind of the um, elevator pitch for Andy Kotelnicki, even though an elevator pitch is supposed to be like one sentence. Like that was, you know, I have a lot of floors in my elevator, so we have longer <laughs> elevator pitches. 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. Now, T. Frank, uh, I'm glad you uh, mentioned Mike Yersich because I was going to start with the joke about, okay, here's what we're hearing about this guy. Oh, wait a minute. Those are the notes from a couple years ago with yep. Mike Yersich. We, we Headed you off of at the pass. Headed you, you off did. at the pass. <laughs> you just nipped that one in the bud for me. I so, did. A couple of things, though, that I've read about Andy Kotelnicki that um, I, I think are interesting and could come into play with Penn State. And one of them, and I underlined this, was adapting to his talent. And yeah. I underlined that because I thought Penn State has a couple unique talent sets on the offense. They've got not one but two very good running backs. We don't know who's coming back in the tight end room. But I mm -hmm. suspect they'll still have a very good tight end room. Yes. Oh, oh, by the way, Kansas somehow managed to get two quarterbacks on the field sometimes because they yeah. had two talented quarterbacks. Now, sometimes not by choice. They, <laughs> I'm not sure how much they did that, but yeah. there is that similarity at Penn State. So tell yeah. me about that, how he has been creative in using special talent. So this is why it's really important and what I wrote about. I, I wanted to make sure we bounced around throughout his career and not just the last three years at Kansas because, you know, anyone can just write off one period of time and say, ah, it's all Big 12, I don't care. He also did it at Buffalo in the MAC, which is a different situation than it is in the Big 12. Um, and throughout his time as an offensive coordinator, he it hasn't always been three receivers lead the team with 20 catches apiece. They've had... Uh, when they had a Tyree, was it Tyree Jackson at Buffalo, the quarterback that was like the six foot seven guy. Um, Austin Johnson was their number one receiver who had 1300 yards and 14 touchdowns. They've also had tight ends lead the team with 90 catches. They've had um, uh, running backs that have led the team and they've run the ball more than any team in the conference at the, in the Mac. And they did that again. He rarely has he had a starting quarterback that is the only quarterback, whether it's through injury or other issues with play, he's had to play multiple quarterbacks during his time at Kansas. As you mentioned, they didn't have one quarterback that played the predominant number of snaps uh, throughout the entire season for three years. Now you can say, and I think it is fair to say that um, sometimes running the quarterback and, and using numbers in the run game got those guys hurt, but also like the play was involved there and, and you know, not having a Drew Aller type player. I've seen him scheme offense from what I've, you know, watched on film so far in a variety of ways. And, but there are common threads that run throughout his, like his core beliefs that I think in what he wants to do with his offense, but he can adapt them to different talents at who's under center and the skill positions around him. Another word that came up quite often in the description of uh, uh, Kotelnicki's uh, offenses is the use of misdirection. And it didn't feel like Penn State used a lot of misdirection in their offense. What exactly does that mean? <laughs> so I'll give you an example that is directly relatable to Penn State. Um, this year, Kansas shredded the Illinois defense because what they did is they used a lot of different concepts in the run game to run around the brick wall that that Illinois has on the interior the week before Penn State played them 
So it looked like, oh, you can shred this Illinois defense. It's not as good as it was last year. But what they did is they used pitches, option plays, different schemes of, I mean, at one point they pulled offensive linemen in separate directions, which is not something you do in traditional offense. So they had uh, a, a bit of a fake within a fake, which is also an option for the quarterback, depending on a bunch of different factors that he has to read. But the point was they ran to the outside. They are able to design an offense to run around instead of run through. And, and, and that was the thing I said is like, Penn State can't do any of this. Penn State's not going to do any of this from what we've seen. Um, and then the next week, Mike Yerstich ran outside zone. He just ran diagonally at the, offense, at, the, at the defensive line and tried to split them down the middle and create some conflict on the interior. But it was based in, this is what we do. Whether it's option or not, we're going to run inside outside zone. There is much more diversity in the run game, and he'll use anything and everything he can as long as they're good at running it and they understand what they're doing and their ability to execute it in order to generate things in the run game. So there's creativity there, and I think you'll see more diversity of how to get Nick Singleton in space. I think that is much more on the table this year based on what we've seen. Now, Nick, Katron, Beth to be interchangeable, as we've said this whole time, but there are <laughs> there might be more... Um, allowances for, hey, this guy's strength is this, so let's try this a little bit more with him, even if it is a bit of a tip in you know what we're doing. They'll, he'll find a creative way to make that not as big of a deal from what we've seen on film. I just wanted to point out one play highlight that I saw, and I brought this up with our new colleague, Landon Tengwall, an offensive lineman, where mm -hmm. they lined up an offensive lineman out wide like a wide receiver and put him yep. in motion so you had an offensive lineman who was almost yeah. in full sprint attacking a defender. I asked can Landon I, can how I jump much in? he would like to do that. <laughs> Go ahead. Can I jump in here, though? Uh, because the, the beauty of that is, okay, offensive lineman lined up outside, looks very strange, looks very different. But all he's doing, I'm imagining, I haven't seen the play, but I can tell you I've seen this. This is something I've seen now more often. He's just running a standard peel block, which is something that's a part of a, a zone blocking scheme. Maybe he's a frontside man defender. But what his job is is normal to what he does it's the situation that's abnormal. Creating those conflict areas, that's what he does. That's what Kotelnicki does very well. And I was just happy to see it because of the creativity. I hadn't seen that before, or at least done that way. So that was very interesting to see. All right, T. Frank, unfortunately, we are out of time. That is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.